I'm Michelle Miao, host of the Michelle Miao shows. You know, it's your A through Z covering the LGBT, LMNOP and everyone in between. John and I do this program, and one of the things that we we talk about all the time, uh, we choose the programs based off of a discussion on social justice, but with an intersectional lens. We can't talk about all these inequalities that we face without including everyone in our community. And so tonight, it's about all of us. It, It is incredibly special in that this is a moment an opportunity for us to be in the conversation when we talk about these important topics that I- include us all and not just from an exclusionary moment. And so I want to introduce to you our panelists and our moderator tonight. I know that you're eager to hear from our guests. Our first panelist that I'd like to introduce you to, I mean, I have to take the moment to read the entire bio because it is that important And the thing to note is that although we've been saying this throughout the entire promotion of the program, that she is known for rejecting Marlon Brando's Oscar win for Best Actor for The Godfather, it's more important to know that she actually is the very, very first person in the Academy's history to use the platform to speak out against injustice. And not only is she the first person to do so, but also first woman, first person of color, first native woman. And that was in 1973, nearly 45 years ago. And today she'll be here to share that this also is a moment for her to introduce to you a short documentary that has been produced that tells her story. She's waited 45 years to tell this story. And that documentary, Sashin, it's currently showing in film festivals around the world and recently won the Beverly Hills Film Festival Best Documentary Audience Choice Award. Sashin also received the Rosine Supple Humanitarian Award for the American Documentary Film Festival. And at a time when the visibility of today's women's voices are so present, it also a time to honor those who came before and led the way, of course. So Sashin Littlefeather remains proud that she is the first person and, as she always adds, the first woman of color to utilize the Academy Awards to make a political statement. Today, let us be mindful that it is through the power uh, and medium of film that the truth of her brave proclamation spoke to a world audience. I also want to add that Sashin wanted me to mention this film, Real Engine, And that was produced uh, back in 2009. But Real Engine starred a Native American cast, but also was produced um, and and made by Native Americans that addressed the stereotypes of Native Americans in films. And it was the first film that gave the Native point of view. And it was a groundbreaking film. So Sashin Littlefeather is here with us today. Our next panelist, Sivan Rose, is an Apache Puerto Rican actress, runway model, and exhibited artist. She was raised just outside of Phoenix, Arizona, on the San Carlos Apache Reservation by her mother and grandmother. In August 2017, Sivan attended the Institute of American Indian Arts, studying studio art in Santa Fe, New Mexico. There, she would meet student director Mark Lewis, filming the short film The Entrada, who would cast her as the lead in a horror story about a museum holding Native artifacts. And in March 2018, Sivan was cast as the lead of an American Film Institute project, Running Shadow, directed by Carlos Betancourt. Running Shadow is a short fiction film about a young Lakota woman battling grief over her sister's suicide and pursuing competitive running. The film released in fall in 2018. Sivan is passionate about utilizing her platform to raise awareness about Native American issues. So Sivan is also here with us for this intergenerational talk on Native Americans in media. Our moderator, finally, um, but not least, Sarah Eagleheart is an Emmy award-winning social justice storyteller, consultant, activist, author, media strategist, and producer focused on advocacy on behalf of indigenous peoples rooted worldview as an Oglala Lakota raised on Pine Ridge Indian Reservation. She's also an internationally accomplished executive with a diverse background in tribal, corporate, and nonprofit organizations. And so let's get our program started because let's hear for our panelists. Welcome. 
Hello, everyone. I'm Betty Washe. Chante Washe Chizapaya. My name is Sarah Eagleheart. Um, I greet you with a good heart. I'm Oglala Lakota. I am originally from Pine Ridge, so I grew up there and have lived all over the country and get to do really cool stuff. And I'm having a moment here meeting Sashi. I probably both Savannah and I are having a moment over here where we've been <laughs> talking to Sashi on the phone. You know, she was uh, wishing Savannah all the good luck when the show came out and before it came out, and and we all just met. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we're so definitely um, glad to be here. Um, and you heard their amazing introductions and and their past and their history and and what just happened with the show Chambers. Um, I want to start out with um, Sashin, and then we'll go to Savan. Um, and I'm going to ask um, two to three questions. We have about 30 minutes or so before we go into Q&A with the audience. So if you, some of you want to be thinking about questions, we will go to you once we finish with this presentation. So I'm dying to know, um, what led up to that moment? What was the behind-the-scenes stuff that happened when Mar did Marlon Brando reach out to you beforehand? Did, did like how did how did that moment happen on the Oscars? Well, first of all, I want to greet everyone in the audience, each and every one of you, and I see very many familiar faces in this audience. That means that you're all as old as I am. <laughs> <laughs> so welcome. And to answer your question. A long, long time ago, when I was writing letters, one of my letters was to Marlon Brando. But how do you get a letter to a major movie star? Well, one of my neighbors was Francis Ford Coppola, the director of The Godfather. So I was walking by his house one day because I like to walk up and down the hills of San Francisco like a billy goat. And he was out on his porch. And I yelled up, hey, Francis. And he looked down and said, what? <laughs> and I said, you don't know me, but. And he said, you're right. I don't know you. And I introduced myself. I said, can I come up? He said, okay. So I came up and we started this conversation. And I said, I have a letter that I wrote to Marlon Brando. I want to know if he's really interested in Indian people or if he's just interested in Indians because he's going to play the role of an Indian in another film. I read somewhere where he's interest, interested in Indian rights and in Indian treaty rights, legal water rights, et cetera, et cetera. And so I wrote to him a very sincere letter because I want to know if he's interested in Indian stereotypes in film. And so Francis Ford Coppola said, okay. So he said he would give me the address for Marlon Brando, and he did. Well, I sent the letter, and I waited for a long time no word whatsoever. And I was working at radio in that time for a big rock and roll station, the big 610 in San Francisco. And one day, a stranger called up in a disguised voice. And I answered the phone, said, some guy wants to talk to you. I said, okay, put him on the phone. So I answered and the guy said, I bet you don't know who this is, do you? And I said, yeah. He said, well, who is it? I said, it's Marlon Brando. He said, you guessed it. I said, what the hell took you so long? <laughs> I said, you beat Indian time all the hell. <laughs> and we started off having a conversation just like we knew each other our whole life. And I didn't care whether his name was Marlon or Billy or Robert or whatever. He was just another human being to me. 
but he was interested in sincerely in Indians, and that's all I cared about. And that's how I first initially met Marlon Brando. Oh, that's amazing. Wow. And speaking of stereotypes <laughs> and, you know, kind of flash forwarding to today, um, you know, there is a stark contrast that just happened in what we saw when Chambers came out on Netflix and, and some differences and good, good differences, right? Um, <laughs> maybe we have a lot of room to grow. What do you think, Savan? Well, what do you mean? Like in, can you rephrase the question? Um, yeah. <laughs> so Sashin was sharing that the, you know, part of the stereo asked if uh, Marlon Brando was interested in stereotypes. So I'm wondering, like, if we flash forward to today and looking at chambers, do you see some differences in the stereotypes? Do you think we're doing better in the media? Are there, do we still have room to grow? I would say that with the announcement of Chambers was very interesting because there was so much work on set. There was so much involvement and it was all very positive from everybody, from producers to the writers to I've expressed in interviews before we had native, uh, extras cast people working the set. It was, it was an environment where everyone just felt included and respected. And it was kind of like, we were just here to work and just do this kind of this work. And then when it came down to announcement, no one really knew. No one, we didn't really exactly know what we were expecting. We feel like we got all the information out there. At least I did, you know, and <laughs> during the first wave of articles and reviews and, you know, I was prepared for like bad reviews and good reviews, but I wasn't prepared for people getting my tribal affiliation wrong, getting our names mixed up, <laughs> our last names mixed up, people getting my, uh, my, as me as Savan, like my, my race identity mixed up. And I was just like, I mean, I wasn't, I was shocked, but not surprised. There's a gif out there and it's just, she does this. And that was me. I was shocked, but not surprised that it kind of happened. And I feel there was a good amount of social media people coming around and like voicing the inaccuracy, but it all boiled down to a cancellation and that's kind of the sad part. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, it's, I don't know. I feel good that the show exists. It's still there. I'm so proud of it and the character that it represents and that, I don't know, maybe it's good that this conversation is being pushed with this severity now, who knows? But I feel like that stereotype exists, existed all the way through. It wasn't dropped. It was just, you know, everyone has woke culture now. Everyone wants to be politically correct, use the right language. No one wants to offend anybody, get sticky. But if you do, especially when you're meaning it positively, it's still going to hurt. You're still getting something wrong. There's still something like missing there. Yeah. And I just feel like maybe there wasn't enough time for that conversation allowed to happen, but. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think that, um, part of, the battle that Native Americans have to face every time in whatever sector you're working is really the fact that people just aren't aware of this history or like who we really are as people. So, you know, we're fighting that three times as hard with every project that comes out. Um, I'm also interested to know in generational differences, um, Sashin, what do you see, you know, you've, You've been around Hollywood and you, you've, <laughs> you've seen the pony show. Like, like I, I, I want to know, like, you know, what, do you see any differences now? Like for good or bad? Do you, what do you, what do you think? Well, first of all, you mentioned pony show, right? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, in Chinese astrology, I'm a dog. Oh, right. But my partner, Mr. Charles is a horse. <laughs> And we've been together for 30 years. So we just call ourselves the dog and pony show. <laughs> How did I know that? I didn't know that. <laughs> so that settles that. Okay. Now to answer your question, I'm the then and Savan is the now. And I'm very proud of Savan. I've seen Chambers. I'm very proud of her work as an actress. She's very talented. This is one of the reasons why I refused that Academy Award, because I wanted to break barriers. I wanted to see young actresses acting a role, not specifically a cowboy and Indian role. Mm -hmm. 
but a role. Mm -hmm. Being anything on the screen that you want to be and doing it well. And she does it well. If you haven't seen her, see her on the screen. She's terrific. And number two, I'm alive to see this, and I'm so happy to see it. Because a long time ago, there were only stereotypical roles that were offered. I asked my friend Jay Silverheels, who played Tonto. He ran an acting school in L.A. called the Indian Acting School. And we were all members of Screen Actors Guild, and we used to go to his classes. And he was a very talented actor. He used to do Shakespeare. I mean, the man was immensely talented, and all you saw him do was Tonto on the screen to the Long Ranger. Mm. Well, I asked him, why do you just do this role? And he said, because a non-Indian would do this role if I didn't do it. So I thought as an Indian, I would take this role and I would be seen on the screen as a Native American mm -hmm. so that others could know that an Indian was on television, yeah. on the screen. And I said, yeah, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. It's, it was pathetic, really, that we had to take these stereotypical roles, but it was a fact. Yeah. And there's no denying that. Mm -hmm. We did not have Indian writers, producers, directors, where we could tell our own stories because we have many stories to tell. Mm -hmm. We haven't even begun. We haven't even started. Yeah. Chris Eyre wrote Smoke Signals. That was a beginning. Mm -hmm. A lot of non-Indians didn't get it. Like, why did that car only go backwards? <laughs> <laughs> That's an Indian car. <laughs> <laughs> my car in the old days when I was 17 I had to put a rock under the tire and people said well, why do you put a rock under the tire I said because the emergency brake doesn't work <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's an Indian car oh god and you know those of us who grew up under certain circumstances laugh at these things and we recognize these things and we joke with these things and we develop a sense of humor out of our sense of survival. Yeah. Because if we didn't have such a great sense of humor, we never would have survived. Yeah. The colonization, the genocidal umbrella under which we were born, mm -hmm. the taking of our children, our language, our culture, our land, all of these things. We had to learn how to survive. Yeah. And humor was a great part of how we did that. Definitely. You know, I, I always remember um, somebody, I remember, I don't know, it was probably in my 20s and somebody, I remember somebody remarking, this is really great um, Native American priest actually that lived in North Dakota. And he, young, he was a young guy. He And he said, you know, I never knew I was poor until you told me I was. <laughs> and that's true, right? For native people. I mean, it's, it's, that's a concept that we really didn't know until somebody else pointed it out to us. Right. Um, so yeah. And then getting to, you know, you mentioned Tonto and, and that brought up all kinds of visual things for me, but I also really made me think of some of Savan's. I don't know if anybody follows Savan on Twitter, but <laughs> I, I see some hands back there, but you, you uh, see Savan has a very, she's very opinionated young lady about a lot of different things. Um, and one in particular, I remember, I mean, cause sometimes I get so excited and I think like, oh, we've gone so far, you know, mm -hmm. Brian Stevens mentioned that we live in a post-genocidal era. And then in the next moment, you know, we see Johnny Depp in a Dior, you know, savage. Savage. Right. Savage. <laughs> Sorry, I pronounced it wrong. <laughs> it means something different. Savage. So what's your take, Savage? On Savage? On Savage. On Savage. Yeah. Savage. <laughs> Savage. It's a hot title. Um, well, I would, 
Well, honestly, my Twitter is, uh, I like, cause you know, as a celebrity actor, whatever, being in the public eye in 2019, you're on social media and you can't deny it. It's a space you're going to exist in if you want to reach the public outside of, you know, your local public. And I don't take Twitter completely seriously because I think social media is really harmful in mass quantities and it's not real and it does a lot of stuff to you like perspective wise. So I really just kind of take it with a grain of salt and tweet whatever I know my little girl from the res now a Hollywood actress brain comes up with. And (laughs) I use a lot of humor. It's very cynical. It can be satirical, but I grew up with funny people because my life was not anywhere like positive for a long time. But I had like uncles and aunties and my grandma, everyone joked, everyone joked and it was funny. And it was the only way you could kind of get over it without having to have that serious conversation. No one knew how to had, no one knew how to have. And it's funny that when you started talking about that, it brought up a class that I, it wasn't a class. It was a presentation that I got to see when I was in middle school. They got all the native kids together because uh, in Arizona, they do a lot of work with like, they spe- they specifically like tribes help the native kids when they're in school. So they got us all together. They put us in an auditorium and these two native comedians, James and Ernie came out and they were going to do a show. It was like, they were real hot at the time. They had a DVD out and that was pretty, that was a big deal. <laughs> and so they were like, we're going to do a free show for all you like, middle schoolers and they do this show and it's hilarious. It's funny. It's the war pony. It's, you know, grandma at the pop stand. It's like all these like things from the res that it was so nice, like for us to all laugh about something together with all these like mean kids around us. And we're like, haha, yeah, you have to like laugh with us now. You can't laugh at us anymore. And then they did this speech at the end. These two comedians took the time to talk to all these kids Oh, and it was a depressing conversation, but it was something that we had never heard before. I know that for a fact, like so many of my friends in that audience were depressed, had anxiety, had stuff going on and no one like publicly reach out to them. No one with like a platform of any kind going like, Hey man, I'm recognizing you. So getting here today, being where I am, being where I am now and having the platform I do, I don't know. I don't like to put a, put a thing over my mouth. I just have to get it out there. I have to talk. I have to converse because there's so much like stuff going on that's going over people's heads like every day, every day. People are saying things, doing things, consuming, supporting very negative things that just only make things worse and they don't even know it. And that's the funny part. They literally don't know. Mm-hmm. And that's the tea, everybody. The real tea, ladies and gentlemen, is people don't know and you can't get a work from there. So, I mean, I'm just trying to like as young as I can on Twitter, <laughs> share my opinion. <laughs> That's at the end of it. Share my opinion on it. Well, and I think it's important because I, honestly, I, you know, Savan being the first Native American lead of a TV show, like TV series in like 2019 is ridiculous, right? Like we should have had that a long, long time ago. Um, but even in becoming a lead of the show, there's a lot of behind the scenes stuff that happened that most people don't know. And I, I would say like one thing in particular is, you know, Uma Thurman fought for Savan to be in the lead role. Um, and that was something that was really important. Um, I still think there's a lot of, you know, work to be done. Mm-hmm. But the fact that she was a huge advocate for Savan, who was such a young girl, and I got to be along for the ride and, and watch her and support her throughout the journey. And I thought to myself, the pressure that she was under at 19... <laughs> I was like, I was never under that sort of pressure. Like I, like maybe when I was like, you know, late thirties and had a major job or, you know, like maybe when I was a CEO of like a organ, that, that's when I felt that kind of pressure, not at 19. I and- turned 19 on set, my birthday <laughs> on set. <laughs> I like just done a scene where I had to like cry in the car, something real depressing. And they're like, happy birthday, like candles and balloons out of nowhere. It was, it was like a whole mental challenge. <laughs> Yeah. Well, um, speaking of that, I, how many people have watched Chambers? Just wondering. Oh, a lot of you guys have. Cool. Um, so it's a horror show. <laughs> and horror I <laughs> series. 
<laughs> and it's a horror series. And um, I'm not really into horror because it just it scares me. And like I watched the exorcism of Emily Rose and then woke up for at 3 a.m. for like a week straight after that. <laughs> it's a very sensitive like soul. But Savan, no, love it. And I'm sure if you follow her Instagram or her, you'll see how much she loves it. So, what was your favorite scene? I would say like out of all, cause there's a lot of body horror and then there's a lot of like imagery, like shocking imagery and then reaction. I, I, I really liked the body horror and that sounds funny to say, but it was because we did it practical effects. So there was a special effects team and everything you were seeing was done right there behind camera. So we weren't CGIing blood and whatever. So I had to be you know, I'm like, what you're seeing on camera is right here. And then there's like a whole rig glued behind me. And there's like someone's pumping blood through the back. And they're like, okay, <laughs> as soon as we say go, it's going to like, and I'm like, okay. And I'm like getting ready for the scene, you know, preparing. And I have to, it's like a scene. I just had to scream. It was like the most, felt to me the most classic horror actress, a good scream, like a good blood curdling scream. And I was like, I got that. That's no problem. And it was it was the, it, my character, Sasha Yazi, she receives a heart transplant. So throughout the series, I have a scar on my chest. And in this nightmarish, like, vision she's having, the scar starts kind of like, it's going to be a little graphic here. So it's kind of like to open up and bleed and, like, things happen. And so this gag, it literally was a rig behind me and they're doing it. And that was probably one of my favorite ones because it was a mess. Literally no one was prepared. The gag broke and it got even more gory because it broke and the blood just went everywhere. And I was like, that was so cool, but it didn't mean to happen. We could have do it again. And it was, it was fun. Like it's fun to play in those horror realms because I know everyone's got some stuff on their mind and it's funny to, I don't know, have to put yourself in such a daunting situation. So you have to make light of it. Yeah, and it was it was a fun story. I mean, for to see a native version of the story, right, which was probably a little bit scarier for us. Oh yeah, of <laughs> <laughs> like the coyote. Yeah, the coyote, and then there were some like get out vibes of like what's really happening with this family, <laughs> <laughs> right? Um, so that was great. What what was your favorite scene of Chambers of Fashing? Well, I think it was in the very beginning. Uh, when I first saw Sivan come out and I said, yippee, there's an Indian. (laughs) 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 Somebody I can relate to. (laughs) And I saw her in the scene and she had a boyfriend and she was gorgeous, number one. And she was thin, number two. And I envied her, number three. (laughs) We all do. This is the before, and that is the after. (laughs) We're not having this conversation. (laughs) And she and the boyfriend went, and they had a love scene Mm -hmm. in the first show. And I thought, whoa. (laughs) And it moved right along. There were no slow points. Mm At all. It just moved like a river flowing. Yeah. And I sort of said, well, this is interesting. And then you had the interview in the movie. Well, I call it the movie, but it was, you know, TV series of the girl whose heart or the mother of the girl whose heart that she got um, eventually. Mm -hmm. And uh, I thought, hmm, this is going to be interesting. Very yeah. Mm-hmm. And that was actually the love scene, the na- that scene um, for me, just as a, you know, I tell S- Sivan because she would ask me. Um, so just FYI, she, for those of you that know, she's, her boyfriend is my son. So, <laughs> <laughs> so we have some mother-in-law stuff that goes on here too. <laughs> and um so the scene was happening and they actually took it really good for 19 year olds, right? They were a year into their relationship and, and as 19s can do it, you know. So it was for real. 
It was. <laughs> <laughs> there was a little bit of drama, but not much. You know, I, I was proud of Brendan for holding it together. Spork, right? But, you know, I, I tell Savan, I was like, I actually forget that you're Savan, like when I watch you. Like, I, I get really into the story and, and I forget that you're that character, which she was like, good. Like, I'm glad that you forget that. That's what um, <laughs> But for me, it was also like, this is the first time that I've, as an adult, have seen native love on a major TV platform, young native love that is healthy that, you know, and he's, he's telling her, you know, he'll, he'll wait, you know, he's not rushing her, you know, if anybody's, you know, being aggressive, it's her character (laughs) that's being aggressive. (laughs) Um, but it was, it was just great to see, to see that as part of the storyline and, and to see, all the other stuff that came came on. I mean, there's a part in there where her head's on a platter. I don't want to tell you guys everything, but like, <laughs> <laughs> but you should watch it. Actually, it's it's a really great show on on Netflix. Um, so Sashin, tell mm-hmm. us about your documentary. I'm dying to know. Is it out yet? Like what? what like what are are there points you can share with us before, you know? Yes, there is a good point that I can share with you. And I was sharing it backstage before you arrived. You arrived definitely on Indian time. Yes, we were definitely, <laughs> on it. We, we drove from LA, you guys, and we, we don't know how. I told her that you were Apache and that I was Apache and that was good enough to understand. Right, yeah. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> they were running up the aisle <laughs> to get here. But anyway, what happened is I was refusing the Academy Award from my favorite actress, Liev Ullman. And her husband, Ingmar Bergman, was my favorite director. He's They're both Swedish. Well, she's Norwegian, actually, but she was married to a Swedish director named Ingmar Bergman, who was my favorite director. Um, and... So it was 45 years later that she was at a film festival and she was doing a retrospective on her husband, Ingmar Bergman, and their films together. And I went up to her and I said, I'm Sasheen Littlefeather. I'm the woman who refused the Academy Award for Marlon Brando. And she looked back at me and she said, Oh, my God, she said. And she grabbed me, and she gave me this huge hug. And we embraced, and then she looked at me again, and she said, Oh, my God, I don't believe it. And I said, Tell me this, I whispered in her ear. What did your husband, Ingmar Bergman, Think of that moment in history, in television history, Academy Award history. And she looked at me with her eyes wide open, and she said, Oh, he just loved it. (laughs) She said, he absolutely loved it, she told me. And I looked at her, and we both, and we held hands. And that was a moment for me that my favorite actress and my favorite director said that. And after I refused the Academy Award for Marlon Brando, I got word from Coretta King, the wife of Martin Luther King, and she congratulated me, as well as did Cesar Chavez, And after that, it didn't matter who else criticized me because I knew that the real people were behind me. Thank you. It was definitely a moment that I'm glad we all got to hear about that was not in the media, right? No, it never was. Right. And it never will be because I was boycotted for all of those years. And that is why the documentary is called Sashin Breaking the Silence, because no one has allowed me to speak for all of these many years. 
the real truth, the real story about what happened. Because there was too much white racism going on. Mm -hmm. Too much white prejudice going on. Mm -hmm. That Native Americans should be silent, shut up, don't talk, don't say anything, Mm -hmm. and for God's sake, don't share your point of view. Because we are going to shut you up. Mm -hmm. We're going to make sure you're not employed. We're going to make sure you never work again. And we're going to damn you to hell. Yep. Yep. We've definitely seen that in history. Sounds about right. Yep. Sounds about right. And I think many of us, you know, that have seen that or know of that, right? I think, I think for us, I, you know, I definitely, um, understand and like give you so much respect and for going through that, which I know that it was probably very difficult. And I'm sure you don't, you know, care, but those of us that had to come afterwards in the industry and Savan that had to come after you in the industry, I know are grateful for you standing up and fighting for us to have a voice and for our issues to be heard as well. Well, thank you very much. (laughs) Okay. Um, now we're going to go to questions and, oh, you got one more statement before we go to questions. Well, yeah, I just want to say that like, a. Because I want some of you to follow me on Twitter <laughs> because, uh, because I, everything she said is, I don't know if it makes, I like, I know I, I want to be good for you. I want to be a good person, but I'm also just a radical little girl who's very into punk and scary things in the dark world. And I want to see all of this burn quite literally. So what I'm doing is cause I got shut up and it was insane. I got shut up as like a 20 year old in 2019. I got shut up to like from speaking they're like stop it you're like you're stop it you're gonna ruin your career stop and i was like oh my god keep talking that's great i was like you're not gonna tell me to shut up i was like as a woman from the res that's like the last thing you should tell me because i'm only gonna keep going only gonna get louder (laughs) so follow me on twitter for those loud tweets what up (laughs) it's it's the apache blood oh yeah 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 (laughs) So follow Savannah on Twitter at Savannah Lira Rose. <laughs> um, and she's also on Instagram. And we'll go to Q&A. Um, I, I wanted to get back to Sauvage, mm-hmm. um, which when I saw that, I just couldn't believe anybody thought that was a good idea. Um, but there it was. And... And yet, you know, they meant well because they were basically, you know, they went to some Native organizations, they hired Native actors, and and these people signed off on it. So, you know, so I was scratching my head about that. So, um, And to a bigger question, you know, I know that at least in literature, there's like a lot of use of sensitivity readers and things like that, which is kind of the same idea. So there's people who might have good intentions, you know, as these people who made the commercial did, um, but are obtuse. And then people who can actually, you know, validate what they're trying to do who are in the Native community. And I'm wondering what you think about that. Uh, I have a opinion, I guess. Okay. Um, <laughs> um, so in South Dakota, uh, I grew up in Bennett County, uh, which is Martin, so- Martin, South Dakota is a little town in Bennett County high school. And, um, I have an identical twin sister who's a psychotherapist now, but when we were 16 years old, we went to this, um, high school that was about a mile away from our little tribal community. And this town was in between two different tribes. It was between Pine Ridge and Rosebud. And our town had a homecoming ceremony because they were the warriors. And so the homecoming ceremony consisted of five warrior princesses who were almost always non-native, um, a big chief and a medicine man. And the medicine man danced around the women who sat cross-legged around a fire and sang Indian love song. And um, then the medicine man would go behind the women and look in their mouth and look in their ears and like pet their head to choose one to give to the big chief, which he did so by weighing them manually. 
And so he danced around to a beat, weighed them, danced around to a beat, weighed them. And then whoever, it was big drama. Um, they were doing it for 57 years at that point. <laughs> and um, my twin sister and I sat there and, you know, we watched it probably our freshman year, our junior year. And the tri or the tribe was so, or the town was segregated is all I can say at that point. Like there, you know, there's pretty much white and native is all there is at that time in South Dakota. And so they, the native communities really didn't know what was happening too much there. And if, the, and if they did, they didn't want to get involved. And so, um, my sister and I at six, 16 watched this happening and we just looked at each other and was like, is no one else going to do anything about this? Like this, like this is wrong. We didn't, there's no ceremony like this that exists at all, period. Like, you know, that nowhere would a medicine man or spiritual leader be doing this to like women like this. None of it, like spiritually degrading, you know, it was sexist and it was racist. And if this was, uh, nuns, and a priest dancing around like these women, I'll just give a very strict, like you, everyone would be up in arms. Right. But for some reason, you know, native people, it's somehow okay to treat us this way. And, you know, we still have the R word NFL team, you know, people understand that blackface is wrong, but they don't, and, and but it's okay to do red face. Right. Um, so there's definitely, we have a long way to go and people actually understanding the issue and with, um, Savage. <laughs> um, I wrote an article about it though. If you want to read it, it's in daily Co's. um, what really bothered me was that, I mean, and it saddened me was that after I was fighting this, I protested for four years with my twin sister before they ended the ceremony. Um, and, and it was hard. It was our senior year. I cared about being popular before that. And then I became popular in a very different way. <laughs> Unpopular, popular. Um, but it was important to fight at that time because I knew in my heart that it was the right, we knew that it was the right thing to do. And it had nothing to do with like getting attention because who we were very quiet and introverted twins. So like we actually didn't like attention and we got a lot of unwanted attention all the time. So for us, you know, the whole challenge was, well, do you, you know, you were just mad. You, the principal literally said this to us. He said, you're just mad that you're, you're not going to be a warrior princess. That's what everybody's saying. And this was the principal. So think about this. This was a school system that I was going to. Like, this was our school. And, um, yeah, so we have a long way to go. And when that ad came out, I was really upset and um, was like, I, I've got to write something about this. Because if you saw some of the promotional um, events that they the held. The after party. The after parties that they held. There were teepees. <laughs> girls in um buckskin bikinis and they were lifting them around the fire they and... did a sacrificial dance around a fire yeah all white people in headdresses dream catchers everywhere nothing completely just saying ignorance but this is part of what i think also is the actual you know because the Native American nonprofit American um American Indians for Opportunity AIO um, LaDonna Harris's organization, <clears throat> well-respected leader, amazing leader, you know, they had backed this ad, but they didn't know all the rest of the stuff that was happening around it. And so they actually retracted their support of it afterward. Um, but I think it goes back to, you know, knowing the full promotional ad and like what it entails. Um, but I also think that collaborating with Native Americans directly, you know, because all that money from it's going right back to Dior, you know, mm -hmm. that's not, <clears throat> there's not a native artist involved with that project. Right. Um, so hopefully things will change. Um, but yeah, we've got a long way to go. I denounce Johnny Depp. <laughs> I would like to add something that way back when 45 years ago, right after I left the stage at the Academy Awards, I had some actors that did this to me. And some shouted to me, where's your Tommy Hawk? And as respectful as I was to them, how disrespectful they were to me. 
Mm, true. And I have never shared that with anyone. I've held that inside all these years. How would you feel if you were me and someone did that to you? Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. <clears throat> I think that happens all the time and, and it's not really brought up. I think the, conver- the, the the fact you took it respectfully says a lot too. I always have this conversation with my mother. Uh, indigenous kids are just raised so respectfully, even in times of like straight up disrespect. I've met so many kids who choose to not fight, even though I've met fighters. Like on the res, it's a different story, obviously. That's why we're on the res, whatever. But I've met so many people who got just completely disrespected. Even I've been disrespected. And for some reason, it's not worth that fight because that's like feeding ignorance. And I hate that because I want to punch those people. Yeah. My grandma, she always said, um, when people were being rude to us, she always said, you know, you have to be respectful. Like you can't, don't, don't argue back no matter how bad they treat you, no matter, you know, she would, and her thing was kind was more along the lines of don't lower yourself to yeah. that level. That was going lower. It's yeah. not, it's not avoiding it. It's you're going <clears throat> lower than them. Oh. Yeah. And so it is, it, I mean, that goes back to just value systems that we hold of, you know, respect. Um, although I do think that, you know, we have to speak up and say what we can, obviously, I, you know, I was, you're a protester. I'm a protester. Stefan's a protester. <laughs> um, so yeah, but we also need our allies to speak up too, because it can't just always be us saying it. And I actually think it's more important for our non-native allies to speak up and say something because, um, it's called role modeling. And unless other people do it, then no one will know. Mm-hmm. They're going to keep con- con- continuing to think like that behavior is okay. Any other questions? Hello. Um, I want to say thank you for inviting all of us here. I've Can you heard... speak up? Can you hear me? Yeah. yeah. Okay. My question is in regards to the cancellation of chambers. Um, our indigenous population only makes up 2% of um, the United States. And many of us live in rural communities where there is no internet. Mm-hmm. Do you think um, Hollywood is a new frontier of colonization, knowing that we do not have access to our representation in Hollywood? I would say that it is everything we are existing in right now is colonization. So there's no escaping it. I wouldn't say it's less severe or more. It's kind of always existent and like those battles come because of it. And growing up in rural area and there's, yeah, more reservations. It's kind of adapted internet. Some really don't have it. Some have a lot of electricity problems. My reservation goes out of electricity for like seven days in a row, like randomly all the time. Like that's, it's just what we expect at this point. And so I would honestly say that it was, that's what really hurt me was that this, this was created and this was happened and this was for representation for the reasons it was. And then a cancellation to like, how more colonizer could you be than to cancel something like this for the still kind of like unbeknownst reasons to everybody. So yeah, Hollywood is a colonizer. That's just facts. Okay. Aside from Savage and your great performance in Chambers that I have to watch now, I always wanted to, to haven't yet. <laughs> but like using it as an example, a place uh, like Longmire, have we made, have you made strides in how native people and their culture are portrayed in other areas? Have there's, has there been progress in the 45 years? Are we still way behind? I would say we've made some progress, although um, I, I would say I think the way that I would, I, I, you guys would probably have very different answers to this, is, um, or maybe the same, is if it's actually a person in this day and age on a show, mm-hmm. contemporary, mm-hmm. like, you know, there's a, ra- there's a random Native friend over mm-hmm. there. <laughs> and I think we, we haven't yet gotten to that point where, you know, every show like ha- might have a native friend somewhere, or like native neighbor somewhere. And I think that will measure us a little bit further. Um, that's my, what do you think? Well, uh, 
I think, you know, because you can tell Westerns and you can try to make them a little more accurate, a little more sensitive, not so like horrible, like the way they were made, but it's still the past. You know, you're still erasing and denying that we're in the future and alive. Like one of my favorite questions to ask people is if I say the word Native American, what image pops to your mind? Like when I say Beyonce, Rihanna, Nicki Minaj, what pops in your mind? When I say Native American, what kind of image and likeness popped in your mind? If that likeness has, you know, some of the stereotypes on it, maybe you happen to put in your own tribal recognition. Maybe you know a complete tribe and aesthetic. But that question is so crazy different across the board. And then the when people have a similar answer, it's really fucked up and wrong. And sorry for that, but it's a really like, it's just not good. It's a stereotype. Sashi? Well, watching a lot of cowboy Indian movies, the Hollywood Indian is always a negative portrayal of who we really are. And, of course, the cowboys are always the good guys and the Indians are the bad guys. That's a general rule of thumb. And all of them have been written from the colonized point of view, not our point of view at all. So I like to get into literature. I like to get into a Louise Erdlich book. I really enjoy Tommy Orange, There, There. I like Teresa Malnott in Heartberries. I thought that was a wonderful Native viewpoint in her book. And other literature written by Native authors. Mm -hmm. And I think that perhaps that sheds a light on part of where we are going to open up the minds with yeah. a giant can opener mm-hmm. <laughs> into who we really are. Spam can. Right. Roll it back. <laughs> Roll it back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I I hope so too. And I, I think um, you know, if you've never seen a native goth put up. Now you have. <laughs> it's like the one time I'm not wearing black lipstick. So. <laughs> um, yeah, and I think that's, you know, Savan, Savan says that. She's like, I want to play any role. Like, I should be able to play any role. I believe like, I'm a chameleon. And I just, it's because I, I grew up uh, loving film. I, I love movies. I love, like, shows. I was a big lover of art in, like, many forms. And I, like, to the point of education, because I consider myself, like, a student in, like, many ways. I love to educate myself on a very professional and organized. Like, I have to know everything from, like, the professional and informational detail, whatever. But when it came to like Sasha, I love so many people in my personal close family have told me that doesn't even sound like you. And I was like, good. Cause that's exactly what I wanted it to do is not sound like me, not look like me, not be like me. It's whole own character had to exist because this exists over here. <laughs> she played a very timid, soft voice. If There's you like noticed in, the, in chambers and she, she made her character very known. <laughs> Yeah. Um, and getting back to the, I do think that it's literature. Mm-hmm. I think that our viewpoints out there, having native directors and native writers and our perspective is really important. Um, there are some people who talk about, you know, young people, and this is a generational difference that I see where young people are like, we're done being your type of Indian. Like we're done being the Hollywood Indian. Like we we want, we just want to fast forward and tell our story now. And so it's also saying like, I'm not willing to do all of the catch up educational work that you all need. You all need to go and like do this yourself kind of a deal. Um, and I, and I think that's what there is that we're tired. Yeah. <laughs> Native people are tired. <laughs> um, and so it is that education that has to come through reading and writing. And, and I think we need more Native artists out there to be able to, to share, which is really, really critical and important. Another question? Thank you all for coming out tonight and telling your stories. I think it's so inspiring and and important that we hear that. I wanted to ask you about the arts and about what organizations or um, groups you think are worth supporting because they do embrace that, you know, that viewpoint that is often not portrayed. 
Are you speaking about like in film and media or are you speaking about just in general? In general, any organizations that you think. Oh, there's any worth- type of organization that you would want to, <laughs> to support in, in mm-hmm. Indian country. Um, we have youth organizations, um, like unity, mm-hmm. but there's so I couldn't, I could go on and on. Um, but I might direct you to, um, there's a Native Voices Rising, which is an organization that's actually here locally in Oakland based, um, at Common Council Foundation. But Native Voices Rising funds a wide variety of, um, Native nonprofits that work in advocacy and, um, civic engagement, voter registration, narrative change, all that. This was her job. My, my, my old job. <laughs> this was her old job. <laughs> um, did you have a question? Yeah. I want to answer that one. We have a woman here named Mary Trimble, who is the director of a great organization in Oakland. And it's the American Indian Child Resource Center. Oh, yes. And she's been the director for many, many years. I want her to stand (laughs) up. Um, tomorrow for the next two days, I'm gonna, I'm part of a film jury for the American Indian Film Institute. And this is our third round of two days of watching, um, films that have been, have been submitted for the film festival that happens here in San Francisco. I don't work for them. I do just jury the films, but the American Indian Film Institute is, is, excuse me, about changing native image in film. But so that's another organization, um, and it is also located here in the city. Thank you. Thank you. There's two Indian organizations right there: her <laughs> organization and American Indian Film Festival. So if you have monies, boom, boom. <laughs> Hello, uh, my name is Monica, and thank you for being here today. It's awesome to see you guys in person. Um, so yeah, my question is basically like being in Hollywood and being a part of it all, like, and that's your guys' profession and everything. What do you guys look forward to or hope to see in the future for Hollywood and all those upcoming actresses and producers and the executive? Like what is basically your dream or of all the work that you guys put in? Well, I just told her this yesterday. If in two years the like native version of Clueless hasn't been written, I'm going to have to write it myself. (laughs) Because I want to see native characters not being whatever the hell like the government decided a native was. I want to see, because I have so many friends that love shopping, love going to the mall, love goddamn normal teenage American things. And I want to see more of literally that. I want like John Hughes native. That in my mind means so much because you need extras. You need actors. You need all kinds of actors. You need all kinds of cast. You need all kinds of, you to make these films about contemporary conversations to be so well casted and just represented that's what i want to see i just want i'm so sick of tired of seeing history i want to see something that's just fictional and fun and like just good for everybody <laughs> i told her to write it um I can't write it. Not yet. do it <laughs> last word sashin and i think we're we're gonna wrap up i want to see an apache star and there you are <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. And I thank you for coming out and, and joining us. And I think we're all done now. And Michelle will tell us what we're supposed to do. <laughs> That's right. Yes, we are done. Oh gosh, please. Another round of applause for our, thank you. Our <laughs> Sarah and I met uh, a few years ago in Bentonville, Arkansas, when Walmart flew out. A bunch of- <laughs> Walmart flew us out. Yeah, Walmart yeah. flew us out, and they wanted to give it, uh, give them unvarnished feedback about Walmart. And yes. um, I was so inspired by Sarah's leadership when she stood up there and was like, "No natives should ever shop at Walmart until you pull all that Washington." <laughs> stuff off of the shelf, <laughs> yeah. right? I um, forgot I said that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
<laughs> and then, you know, and then watching Savon and Chambers and then getting, uh, I watched the documentary Sashin three times, um, breaking silence and every single time it be even just standing here in front of you today. And I think some of you might echo how I feel. It's like at 37 years old, my parents were refugees who came here. Um, I have to accept the fact that even at that, you know, I'm a colonizer my family's a colonizer and there, uh, there's so much that we have to do. Um, yeah, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> thank you for Just saying that. the shame and, you know, but, but at the same time, that's what, that's why we're here today. So thank everyone. Thank you all for coming. We are going to do poster signings. So she and Savan will do poster signings back there. Um, thank you to our sponsor, New York life, uh, pretty much called Sharla Aquino, who's back there and, and called her and said, Hey, we can't do this program unless we have, uh, all nations singers, the drummers, mm -hmm. and they do an, an, uh, an honor song. And that, you know, came from Sashin and Gail, who's with one bull productions who helped put this all together as well. And that's that's also part of it, is that we're not appropriating, we're not here because we're just trying to trend and hashtag, you know, Native history, but we're being intentional in terms of what we're trying to do here today in the education, the informing part, and making the change. And so thank you to New York Life, One Bull Productions.